0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and the text for the sermon today is taken from Philippians 3, the verses 7 through 11. And there the Apostle Paul writes these words, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, what's the most precious thing you possess? What is the one thing that you have that is worth more than anything else in the world? Some might say their money. Others might say their home or their car, a family heirloom, or their children. But what was it for the Apostle Paul? What did he deem of more value than anything else in the world? It was Christ. Last week, we reflected on Philippians 3, the verses 4 through 7. And In these verses, Paul responds to the Judaizers of his day. Remember, the Judaizers were Christians, mainly from a Jewish background, who taught that in order to be saved, one not only had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, one also had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Paul, however, denied this. And he rightly perceived that this doctrine amounted to an undermining of the sufficiency of Christ and the doctrine of justification by faith alone, because it emphasized that we are saved not just by grace, but by grace plus works. But rather than simply tell the Judaizers that they were wrong, Paul, as we saw, put himself on their level. For the sake of argument, he reminds his readers that if it was possible for people to earn all or even part of their salvation before God, then he was the one who could do it. And he tells us why in verses 5 and 6. He says he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, Paul says he had it all. He had every reason in the world to think that if anyone could be saved on the basis of something in himself, that Paul was the one. But as he goes on to tell us in verse 7, he was completely wrong. For having encountered the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and having been confronted with the holiness of God, Paul realized that if he was ever going to stand before such a God and live, he needed a righteousness that was not his own. He needed a perfect righteousness. He needed the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And consequently, when he weighed all of his achievements in the balance, he discovered it was no contest. He writes in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, as we observed last time, Paul here is using the language of an accountant. He says that what he once thought were his greatest assets, his so-called righteousnesses, he now considered to be his greatest liabilities. And what once he thought was his greatest liability, which was Christ, he now regarded as his greatest asset. Well, last week we considered these verses under the theme Paul's spiritual balance sheet. At that time we considered his many liabilities. This morning, with God's help, We want to go on to consider his greatest and one and only asset, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has just declared in verse 7 that what things he once considered gain to him, these he counted loss for Christ. What he means is that compared to Christ, whatever he possessed, his background, his devotion, his obedience to the law, his good works, it was all nothing. It was rubbish, he says. It had absolutely no value at all, at least when it came to his salvation. And He says in verse 8, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ." you notice here, Paul speaks of the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean to know Christ? Well, knowing Christ is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not just about how to get saved and how to avoid eternal damnation in hell. It's not just about performing some religious rituals. It's more than that. It's knowing Christ. In John 17, Jesus prays his high priestly prayer. And in verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So our Lord here says that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Christ. In 1 John 5, verse 20, John writes that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. This is the true God and eternal life. The reason why the Son of God has given us an understanding is so that we might know Him, which John says is eternal life. So, what does it mean to know Christ? Knowing Christ means much more than knowing about him. It means more than knowing where he was born and who his parents were and what he did and why he came to this earth and so on. This knowledge is more than just a mere intellectual knowledge. This is what we could call an experiential knowledge. Knowing Christ means knowing him, knowing him personally, intimately, experientially. Let me give you an illustration that I hope will clarify the difference. If I meet somebody for the first time, from that point forward, I can say that I know that person. But I do not know him in the same way that I know my wife, for example. I know about him, but I do not know him. Now, that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is speaking about here in our text. It's not an intellectual knowledge, but it is a personal, intimate, and experiential knowledge. Jesus himself speaks of that kind of knowledge in John chapter 10. There in that chapter, Jesus reveals himself as the good shepherd. And in verse 4, he says that as the good shepherd, I know my sheep and am known by my own. Now, In what way does the good shepherd know his sheep? Again, not just intellectually, but personally, intimately, experientially. He not only knows about them, but he knows them. And they, in turn, know him. Now, such knowledge, Paul says, is of the greatest excellence. And that word excellence can also be translated as unsurpassing value. For the Apostle Paul, the knowledge of Christ in this experiential way was of surpassing value. In fact, he says it was more valuable than all things. Now, what does he mean by that phrase, all things? He meant anything that might make him worthy before God. Remember, Paul had just previously declared that his being circumcised the eighth day, his being of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, his being a Pharisee, his zeal, his blamelessness before the law, that all these things he counted loss for Christ. But now he takes this a step further. Now he says that not only does he count these things as loss, but he counts all things as loss. In other words, it's as though Paul is saying, there is nothing in the entire world that I regard as being on par, much less superior to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You notice Paul here is using the present tense. Previously in verse 7, Paul used the past tense. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But here in verse 8, he uses the present tense. Yet indeed, he says, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what Paul is saying is that what he discovered about his liabilities in the past, he continues to discover in the present. He is just as convinced now as he was when he first was converted of the bankruptcy of anything in himself as the ground for his justification before God. It is all loss. Not just loss, but rubbish, which we saw last week refers to something that is good for nothing. It is dung. It is excrement. Oh, my friends, have you discovered that? For yourself personally, have you discovered something of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus? Perhaps you say, well, how can we come to know Christ like that? Well, let me just say this. We do not get to know him right away like that. When you start dating your husband or your wife, you did not know as much about him or her as you do now that you've been married, especially after you've been married for many years. And so it is also when it comes to knowing Christ it takes a lifetime to know him. And even then we have only just begun because there is so much in Christ to discover. You say well how then can we know him? Well first of all you need to be united to him by faith. You will never know Christ in this way unless you repent of your sins and believe on his name. That's where knowing Christ begins then you must go further, and you must read and study His Word and ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to your heart. You see, the Word reveals who Christ is. If we want to know Christ, we must read and meditate and study His Word. In fact, the more we do this, the more we will know Him. And the more we know Him, the more we will see the emptiness and the vanity of of everything else. And with Paul, we will count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Well, my friends, are you doing that? Sometimes God's people complain that Christ is so far from them. Maybe you're one of them. Well, let me ask you, are you making use of the means? Are you praying? Are you reading and meditating on the Scriptures? This is how we get to know Christ. This is how we deepen our relationship with him. This is how he becomes precious and necessary for us. But if we don't make use of the means that he has appointed for that end, we cannot complain that he is distant from us. So for Paul, Christ was of surpassing value. He would exchange anything for the great privilege of knowing him. Now, why is that? Well, Paul tells us, first of all, he says, because he wants to gain Christ. Now, the Greek word here also means to win. It implies personal appropriation, making Christ my own, receiving him as my personal Lord and Savior. Having Christ as his own meant more to Paul than anything else in the world. Why is that? Because, he tells us, when we have Christ, we are found in him. Now, that phrase, in him or in Christ, occurs many times in the writings of the Apostle Paul. This is the language of what theologians call union with Christ. By using this particular phrase, Paul is reminding us that the believer is not isolated, he's not independent, but he is one who is united to Christ by faith. Christ is his head, and he is a member of his body. He is flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. He is in him in a spiritual way. And as such, he is a partaker of his righteousness. Now, to be sure, the one who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a partaker of all the benefits of Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the adoption of sons, the gift of eternal life, and so on. But Paul mentions specifically his righteousness. You notice, after declaring that he desires to be found in Christ, Paul goes on to define what that means. He says, Not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness is perfect conformity to the law of God. If I keep the law of God, I am a righteous person. The law of God defines what righteousness is. So if I keep that law, I am then righteous. Now this kind of righteousness is absolutely essential. Because one day we will have to stand before God. And God is absolutely righteous and holy. And that means if we are ever going to stand before him and live, we ourselves need to be absolutely righteous and holy. And if we're not, then we will be utterly consumed in his presence. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that you and I are not holy, nor can we make ourselves holy. For everything that we do and say and think, even, is tainted by sin. So what do we do? Well, the only solution we have is Christ. You see, by living a perfect life all the time that he lived on this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ earned for us the righteousness that we need in order to stand before God and live. And when we believe on his name, then he imputes that righteousness to us, and he does it so perfectly that God regards us as if we had never sinned. Sadly, before his conversion, Paul did not understand any of that. As he himself says, he went about trying to establish his own righteousness by keeping the law of God. But when the apostle encountered the risen and exalted Christ on the road to Damascus, he came to the realization that no matter how hard he tried, he could never earn the kind of righteousness that is acceptable to God. He needed an alien righteousness. He needed a righteousness that he did not have. He needed a perfect righteousness. He needed the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which becomes ours by faith. Now, this is why Paul was prepared to count all things loss in order to gain Christ and to be found in him. Because in him, he had a righteousness that he could never earn himself. A righteousness that could enable him to be declared declared not guilty before the tribunal of God. But that's not all. There's another reason why Paul was prepared to count all things loss for Christ. And what was that? Well, he tells us in verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, here again, Paul speaks of knowing Christ. As I mentioned earlier, this knowledge is more than just an intellectual knowledge. It is a deep, personal, intimate, experiential knowledge. Paul wants to know Christ in the same way that a husband knows his wife and a wife knows her husband. But here Paul is more specific. He not only wants to know Christ, he wants to know the power of his resurrection. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the greatest power imaginable, because it demonstrated that he had power over death. Now, no one has power over death. We can try to stave off death as much as we want. We can use every tool imaginable, every means, but we cannot prevent death from coming over us. One day all of us will die. But when Christ rose from the dead, he demonstrated that he had power over death. And Paul says he wants to know, that means he wants to experience that power. But what exactly is that power? It's the power of the Holy Spirit in the heart and life of the believer. Paul speaks of that power in Romans 8, verses 11 to 13. There Paul writes that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying that just as the Holy Spirit, by his power, raised up Jesus from the dead, so this same Spirit works by his power in the hearts and lives of believers. And by means of that power, Christ regenerates his people. He brings them out of a state of spiritual death into a state of spiritual life. He also sanctifies them and gives them a new nature, causing them to hate and to flee from sin. In other words, it's the power by which Paul can become more and more holy. It's the power by which Christ, by which Paul, rather, can become more and more like Christ. Now, this is what Paul wanted to know more than anything else in the world. He wanted to be holy. But he understood that holiness is not something we achieve by our own efforts. It is something that God works in our hearts and lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's the power that Paul wants to experience more and more. He wants the power of the Holy Spirit to make him more and more like Christ. But even that is not all. Not only does Paul want to know the power of Christ's resurrection... He also wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, Paul had already experienced suffering, much suffering. In fact, as he was writing these words, he was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting the outcome of his trial that could possibly result in his death. But when Paul says he wants to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering, he means more than just that. He means he wants to suffer for and with Christ. He wants to suffer for Christ because Christ suffered so much for him. And he wants to suffer with Christ because when we are made to suffer, the greatest comfort is knowing that Christ understands, for he suffered too. In fact, he suffered more than any of us will ever suffer. And therefore, he is able to identify with us in our suffering and to help us when it becomes too great to bear. What is more, Paul wants to do this so that he might be more and more conformed To Christ's death. The Greek verb here means to cause to be similar in form or in style to something else. The present tense of the verb suggests that this is an ongoing process, while the passive voice indicates that God, rather than Paul, is the one who performs the action of the verb. So what Paul is saying is that just as Christ died, I too want to die, not physically, but spiritually. I want to die to sin and self, and I want to come alive in Christ. Jesus put it like this in Mark 8, verse 34 and 35. He said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And that's what Paul wanted. He wanted, above all, to die to self and to live for Christ. But he also knew that one of the ways God does this is to cause his people to suffer. And therefore, he says, he is willing to count all things loss for the sake of knowing the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. But then Paul adds this qualifier. He says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, Now, when Paul speaks of the resurrection of the dead, he's not speaking figuratively. He's not speaking of the spiritual resurrection that takes place the moment the sinner is converted to Christ. He is speaking literally here. He is speaking of the physical resurrection on the day of judgment. Nor is he speaking only of the general resurrection. Paul has taught elsewhere in his letters that all the dead will be raised on that day, both believers and unbelievers. But here he's speaking of the particular resurrection, the resurrection of the just unto life eternal. But when he writes, if by any means, Paul is not expressing doubt as to whether he will be raised to that life. He was convinced, as he writes in Romans 8, that nothing could or would separate him from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus his Lord. Rather, he was expressing his humility. Paul knew that to attain the resurrection of the just one had to endure many trials and afflictions. And he knew that it is only through much tribulation, as Jesus himself said, that we enter into the kingdom of God. And what is more, he knew that many who started the race well did not finish. And he didn't think that he was any better than anyone else. He hoped he would finish the race. But looking at himself, he wasn't so sure. Why not? Because he knew his own heart. If others before him had stumbled and fallen, What made him think that he wouldn't? Paul couldn't say that, and therefore he said, if by any means. But the point is, Paul wanted this more than anything. He was willing to make any sacrifice and count anything as loss in order to gain the resurrection of the just. Why is that? Because that was the only way he could be with his Lord and Savior, which he said earlier was far better than anything else. Well, congregation, we've studied... Today, Paul's spiritual balance sheet. We've considered his many liabilities, namely that he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But we also considered his one and only asset, And that was his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've seen how Paul considered all of his liabilities to count for nothing, yes, even to be regarded as done for the sake of gaining Christ and knowing him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. My friend, have you also come to that discovery? Is the Lord Jesus Christ everything to you? Would you sacrifice everything for him and count it all as loss? This is the ultimate mark of a true Christian. A true Christian regards Christ as precious, far better than everything, and everything else as nothing. Is that true for you? Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like, more, like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at BannerOfTruthRadio.com. That's BannerOfTruthRadio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America, For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount, again our mailing address, is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, that's L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage again is BannerOfTruthRadio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.